This week on The Verge Cast, we talk all about the new Apple event. Nicole Wetzman joins us to talk about blood, oxygen measurement, and the new Apple Watch Series 6. We get into the new iPad, the A14 chip with Heim Gartenberg. Then we talk about the PS5. Pricing has been released. We get into a little bit of the Oculus Quest 2 that's coming up on The Verge Cast now. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology... Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Your body is unique. So why would you settle for a weight loss plan that's one size fits all? Noom is the weight management program that takes into account your biology to build a custom plan just for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of blood measurement. It's like a vampire. It's like I made a blade joke, Dieter. Yeah. It wasn't good, but I'm trying. <laughs> Keep The effort is what matters. I'm Neil Ivetel. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I'm your daywalker. That's good. See? Heim Gartenberg is here. I am not a vampire, but I've been accused of being one. <laughs> wow. Well, and I'm very pale. It's been a very, very inside, you know, summer. And for our opening segment, Nicole Wetzman is here. Hey, Nicole. Hello. So I want to start where I always start. It's been 27 weeks uh, since our nation's president offered a testing and tracing plan that started with a website. Mm-hmm. It was built by uh, 65,000 Google engineers at last mm-hmm. count, I believe. Uh, yep. 27 weeks. That's more than half a year. Still doesn't exist. That's bad. There's no getting through it without that. I know that Nicole wrote a great piece um, about how testing needs to work. There was a lot of noise this week about vaccination timelines. That's still the heart of it, right? He made a big promise about a gigantic plan that never revealed itself. I think if you're Nicole, I would say if you're evaluating the vaccination claims, that there's going to be a website is like a really good piece of context. Yeah, definitely. And you should um, listen to only vaccine experts to tell you about vaccine timelines. And you will probably not be able to get one this year. So don't hold your breath. Last I checked, a vaccine was harder to make than a website. <laughs> it seems like it would be the case. Well, given the case with this website. <laughs> Anyhow, Nicole actually, uh, Nicole and Mary Beth and I actually spoke to a vaccine expert this week. That's on the interview show. You should go listen to it. That was great. Dr. Natalie Dean. I'm not going to race through the usual set of updates. We have a lot of tech news this week, but uh, Nicole and the rest of our science section is doing amazing work on COVID. The rest of our teams um, are doing amazing work on the push for racial justice. Now that's affecting everything and the second order effects of both those huge stories. Please look at the site for that. They were very top of mind for us. There was a lot of tech news this week. So there was an Apple event. Mm -hmm. We'll save some of the the mechanics of the Apple event for a little bit later because iOS 14, A14, it's all wrapped up into that. But top line, they had an event. You heard from us, what was it, last week? They managed expectations around this event yep. very carefully. Well, carefully after the fact. 
They very carefully <laughs> managed their post event announcement expectations. So there's going to be an iPad and there's going to be a watch. And indeed, there were some iPads and there were some watches. Uh, they announced the Apple One service bundle. They said all the OSs are coming tomorrow. Developers freaked out. We'll talk about those. Uh, and they said there's a new A14 in the in the iPad Air. So let's start with the watch. That's why I wanted Nicole on to begin with. Apple Watch Series 6. Dieter, you have one. I do. Tell us about it and tell us tell us about your blood. So I have the product red one, and it is very pretty. The red is very, I don't know, rich and complex, like a like a fine Merlot. It's a good, it's a good looking red. And if you didn't give me the red one and you asked me to tell the difference between this and the Series 5. I would fail, just straight up. Uh, the screen is brighter, and it's especially brighter, 2.5 times brighter in like the always-on standby mode. And that's the only discernible difference unless you look specifically at the back to look at the sensors, or you know specifically that the altimeter is always on. Uh, so it's the U1 chip, the altimeter, the blood oxygen sensor, the slightly brighter screen, and there might be one other small difference that I'm forgetting. No, the new chip inside is faster. What does it mean for an Apple Watch to be faster? It's like a, a, a very open question. To so me. what's ironic about that is um, it's the only question when it applies to uh, Android Wear. Uh, Wear OS watches, <laughs> they all need to be faster. Um, but yeah, the, it's fine. So the really, the, the news here is the, the blood oxygen sensor. It's like the big new thing. Everything else are like nice things. PIP year-over-year updates, but the blood oxygen sensor is really like the big deal here. So, Nicole, you've done a little research into it, its potential applications. I thought your headline was uh, kind of just like an important statement of fact. Apple is marketing it as a wellness device, not as a medical device. They did say during, I thought this was a really interesting way of kind of just like threading the needle. They're like, you might have heard about blood oxygen during all this COVID stuff. <laughs> and then they didn't like close that loop. But Nicole, even looking into it, what, what, what do you know about it? What should people think about it? Yeah, so the reason that they're talking about it as a wellness device is because they cannot talk about it as a medical device without you know clearance from the FDA to do so. So we're sort of in this spot where pulse oximeters or blood oxygen sensors are in like a weird in-between with the FDA where like you can sort of have them on devices without getting clearance from the FDA. But if you're trying to do some things then you have to, Apple has not done that for their pulse oximeter on the watch yet. But this isn't something new to, to this smartwatch. Like Garmin has had a pulse ox for a while. Fitbit has like sort of quietly activated their feature, I think last year. And They've sort of been interesting to like people for working out and getting a sense of kind of where your blood oxygen is during exercise, but they've taken on a new role during the pandemic because monitoring blood oxygen levels is an important way to, to monitor the progression of COVID-19 because people can be up and walking and talking and have very low blood oxygen levels. And you wouldn't necessarily know that just by looking at them, which is unusual, usually like very low blood oxygen is matched with like you're gasping for breath and you can't really walk up the stairs. So that's why they've been important recently. But the way that the product is on the Apple Watch is it's not, it can't be used to actually diagnose any illness and it shouldn't be used to do so. It is more of kind of a an interesting thing that you can look at, but we don't actually know like how well validated it is against sort of more standard pulse oximeters that could be used in hospitals or could be kind of more medical grade devices because they haven't gone through the FDA process. They don't have to necessarily release some of that validation information at this point. 
So the whole time you were talking, I've been trying to measure my blood oxygen on this thing, and I've had three uh, unsuccessful attempts so far. Maybe it's because the battery level is low in this watch because I haven't plugged it in for 24, 36 hours or something. Um, but yeah, it's not working. But the, the question I have is there are some sensors on the Apple Watch that are like, you might get lucky to get an early warning on something you didn't realize you had. It's not really a medical device, but like it can tell you if it detects uh, like something like AFib and you're like, oh shit, and then you go to the doctor, they verify it, and then your life is saved or whatever. There's other sensors that are just straight up stats for fitness nerds, right? I want to know my run steps. I want to know my how high I ran in, in altitude and blah, 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 blah. Do you think that the pulse oximeter in the Apple Watch is like where in that spectrum is it? Is it like stats for fitness buffs? Is it uh, just like more health information for people that want to be live the quantified self? Remember that term people used to say quantified <laughs> self all the time? Or is it like a like an early warning system or is it everybody else has got one? And so Apple felt like they had to do it, too. Like, where do you see it on that spectrum? I think it probably falls closer to the like quantified self, get some health data. Um, yeah. It's not like the EKG feature, which does have FDA clearance and can be used sort of, they can market it as more of a, a medical function. But, you know, I think that this is something that could follow a similar trajectory that that did, you know, like a lot of people were very skeptical of Apple's EKG when it first came out, um, like doctors and cardiologists. And then you saw some validation and, you know, people looked at the studies and they said, okay, like maybe this can be something that's useful. And I think we might see a similar trajectory with pulse ox on wearables now that they're on a couple of devices and we'll probably see a little bit more attention to them. But it's sort of interesting because the way that a pulse ox works on your wrist is different than the way it works on a finger. And there's sort of a little bit of question as to the difference in accuracy between the way you measure things at two different places. Yeah. And that is also like there isn't a ton of research on that either. Like this is an area where there just isn't a ton of, of validation studies. So you're sort of going off a little bit of like what little research you do have. And then we're kind of waiting to see if more validation studies like end up being done. Just real quick, how does a pulse oximeter work on a finger versus a wrist? Yeah, so a pulse ox works with light. So it sends out light through like a body part. And the idea is that your blood, your red blood cells um, absorb different wavelengths of light when they're carrying hemoglobin, which is like carrying oxygen and when they're not. So you're looking at sort of the difference between your oxygenated and non-oxygenated blood through like this sort of intermediary of absorption to figure out what your percentage blood oxygen is. And at the fingertip, um, that happens like by sending light through the tip of your finger and then reading it on the other side. Whereas on a wrist, it's reflective. So it's bouncing the light back up to itself. Um, yeah. And so it's like a reflective versus transmitted light. And that's sort of part of the question with like accuracy there. You also have different amounts of blood close to the surface of the skin and your finger versus the top of your wrist. So like some of the issues could come with where it's positioned and if it's not actually like on your the, the artery, your rate, I think it's the radial artery. I'm watching Dieter. He's still trying to do it. I, I got, I got two <laughs> out of like the six I've been doing here. They take 15 seconds a piece. One said 96, which is like eh, a little low, but okay. One just said 90, which is like, I, I think I would feel that. Uh, so that can't be right. And most of them are unsuccessful. So I, I, I need to figure out how to get this thing to like be placed to be accurate. So there's a lot of, I'm actually concerned about the same here. I've got like a consumer grade finger um, oximeter. So I'm going to like be doing them like 
next to each other all weekend. So expect me to be terrified on Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the light thing, um, it has more like little light things on the back than uh, Apple Watch up until now. And it uses red light, I think, for the pulse oximeter. And it also does it during the day and during the night, just sort of ambiently so you can see what it was throughout the course of the day and not just sit there and test it and freak yourself out. Interestingly, uh, by default, the checking throughout the day turns off when you're in theater mode, which turns the screen off because like you can see it in the dark. You could just see your wrist like turn red when this <laughs> thing is shining on it. That's wild. The EKG point you brought up was really interesting to me because we wrote those stories, right? They put out an EKG. Doctors are skeptical. We want to see it proven out. They did manage to prove it out. They did get the clear. Like they went through the process. It, one of the things about Apple entering health, and I think about Tim Cook saying Apple's big legacy in the world, in history, will be in health. That's the CEO of Apple. That's the thing he says about his company. They always were the tech company entering the heavily regulated health devices space with this watch. And it seems like they've kind of inverted the the flow, right? Usually you would get that clearance, you put up the first generation and you would fix it. They're starting with Here's some stuff you can measure. We don't know what it means. We've signed up 45 world-class hospitals to do some tests with it. And they just like sort of build their data. They build their credibility. And then they go and get their validation and say, now it's medical. That seems like the reverse of how it normally is. It also seems like a very clever strategy because they have the scale to pull it off. Yeah, it's sort of interesting because they can, you know, the way that medical device regulations work, it's it's this like very weird space, right, like in terms of regulation. So they're able to put this sensor on the watches and then sort of like go from there and and test it. And like then they can, you know, partnering with sort of the universities to to try this out over time, like hopefully will mean that we'll see. It'd be it'd be interesting because we might then see data before it gets submitted for clearance for whatever kind of function they're aiming for, which I think will be interesting to see as well. You know, they're partnering with a university just to look at asthma, which I thought was interesting because a lot of the other wearables are focusing their pulse ox research on sleep apnea. So that sort of, I think, is a potential indication of a way that they could go in maybe a slightly different direction. Although I would assume that they're also going to be pursuing the sleep stuff as well. So I'll be curious to see how that shakes out. I mean, they bought that sleep tracking company and then nothing else has ever happened, right? Like, do they still, it was a sleep tracking company that like put the, the, like the thing under your mattress, right? Yeah. Bet it. Do they, does bet it still exist? They still sell that thing? Yes. Okay. You can still buy one. I, that's like one of the few products that Apple just hasn't like memory hold after acquisition, but like they don't, no one competes with their weird sleep tracker. <laughs> Nicole, when you, when you look at sort of the, the suite of sensors on the watch and the places where Apple is pushing and the kind of studies, do you see a holistic picture of what it's all supposed to do? Or is it different bites that things are capable of doing? Well, I think it sort of fits under the bigger umbrella of the idea of being able to monitor your own health at home um, and that sort of general trajectory that a lot of the health landscape seems to be moving towards. And there's like that sort of conversation has been accelerated because of all of the telemedicine during the pandemic. And I think getting in on a couple of key areas that are things that are pain points for physicians to regularly monitor um, is kind of an interesting like entry into that conversation, because, you know, it's hard to get regular 
heart rate measures on people if you have to hook them up to an EKG and you can only do that at like X amount of times during the day and it's kind of like cumbersome and maybe challenging to get people to comply. But if you have it built into a wearable that you're wearing all the time, you can get a more regular reading on something like that, which is useful to a clinician who um, otherwise could be working with far less information. So that I think is the the space that like you can see some initial benefits, but I think that that's sort of the direction a lot of this is moving in. And it's, you know, challenging a lot of clinicians with how they think about their relationship with patient data and where the data they get on patients is coming from. I think a lot of clinicians are like excited about this and the possibility to be able to, you know, reach people and get information that they wouldn't get otherwise, but they're still, you know, waiting to see if the possibility is borne out. Yeah. And I I think because it's Apple, I think there's a presumption that all the data will be clean. Like the product works well, but I think that's still, we still don't know, right? The thing is still pretty new. And I think a lot of the skepticism I hear is we don't know if you're wearing your watch tightly enough, right? We, we don't know if your, your kid or your dog ran away with it and you like show more movement than like, there's just like a, when you have to do the formal compliance and like actually sit down and take the reading at home, like you're trying to, you're trying to get a good result. Yeah. Whereas these, all these ambient measurements, I think, and I know Apple's thinking about it, but it, I think that's just like a really interesting piece of this puzzle. Yeah. And then there's a, when you look at research studies, a self-report is always considered to be slightly less reliable than something that's collected by a researcher um, and things like that. Um, I also just wanted to say that, you know, the other thing when a company like Apple enters the medical landscape is that their information is proprietary. So their algorithms and all of that stuff is not accessible to, to just your average everyday doctor. So doctors also have to trust the black box that is the product without knowing where anything, any of the information it's spitting out comes from. Mm. And that is a really hard sell, I think, for a lot of clinicians. And I think if this is going to move towards, like continue to move forward, I think it's going to be interesting to see the amount of transparency that that actually comes up around some of those questions. Yeah. Two more pieces of health news from the Apple event I want to talk to you about. Specifically, one, they launched their new fitness service called Fitness Plus. It is like an all encompassing Apple ecosystem, death star, right? You like <laughs> put your iPad and you link it with your watch. Then iCloud streams a video and there's real time data. Fundamentally, a fitness plus is, um, DVDs of, of, uh, exercise videos that you can put your Apple watch data on top of that. That's, that's all it really is. Well, I was saying it in a more exciting way. It's <laughs> what I was doing, but yes, it's video on demand. Nothing's live. Um, but I, you know, like the, the streaming, the linking, all that stuff is is neat. Do you see that when I, in the context of our greatest contribution to the world will be health? Do you see that as meaningfully moving the company forward? Or are they just like, whatever, we're going to make Peloton stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think that exercise is a big part of health. And that's something that, you know, people <laughs> care a lot about. But if it's collecting like the information on your, like how much you're working out in the same place that it's collecting your heart rate data and your blood oxygen. And that's something that your doctor like wants to see how much exercise you're doing. Like, sure. That could be a convenient way to sort of like get evidence to your doctor that you're working out X amount. And if you have questions about like any of that stuff, but I also think that fitness is like a huge industry. And (laughs) I mean, if they're trying to take over the world, having a fitness product that you can do at home during a pandemic is probably a good thing, I would say, for the product. <laughs> On the product side, I think it I think it was honestly 
yes, it's kind of like just DVDs with Apple Watch data over the top of it. But uh-huh. what it, what was their newest, most interesting idea? It was this fitness service, right? right. Like everything else was sort of iterative, like in many cases, extremely iterative over the old one. This was a new thing. But I guess what I'm pushing at is, has Apple's health thesis come into focus for you, for you as our health reporter, for anybody just listening? Like, I think about Tim Cook saying our greatest contribution will be in health. And then it's just bits and bobs. Right. And I couldn't quite link them all together. Yeah. I mean, I think it gets at sort of the idea of like the holistic picture of of healthcare in terms of, um, you know, we need to look at all elements of your life in order to be understanding kind of how healthy you are as a person and kind of what you need to be doing. And also on, you know, the early intervention prevention side of things as well, if we think about exercise in that sort of context. The, you know, the EKG feature is the whole kind of selling point is that this is something that you can use in the background that will give you an early hint that something could be wrong. Um, And so if we're thinking about, you know, preventing illness rather than treating illness, I would think it kind of could fit under under that umbrella. Um, And it also, you know, fits under this general conception of wellness that everyone is very interested in, um, which, you know, could have a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people. But if you're packaging medicine as wellness with sort of the connotations that comes with in terms of like investment and money and status and all of these different um, like more cultural ideas, fitness definitely fits fits under that umbrella for sure. All right. Last little thing. They put out iOS 14. It came out today. Exposure notification now built into the operating system. You can just turn it on in settings. I encourage everyone to go turn it on. I went to turn it on and said, where do you live? I said, New York state. And it said, New York already has an app. Go get that app. That app doesn't exist yet. Woof. So either Apple's like leaking some Cuomo app that doesn't exist or they're a little shaky, but so that's rolling out. Obviously testing tracing. We start the show with it every week for a reason. Have you seen any, there's like seven states that have it now, the app. Have you seen any results from it? Have you seen, has that built to any conclusion? I think it's, they've only really been out for like a couple months, two months, month and a half. Um, so I haven't seen any kind of data from any of the states yet. I mean, it's not something I've actively looked for recently, but it's not something that I've I've seen um, a whole lot of results from yet. A thing that really struck me when I was installing, you know, after the software and you know, your phone lights up again. It's like type in your password again. And you're just like back. And then you, where, where's the, where's the at launch you've installed iOS 14, turn on your exposure tracking. Like it should be there, but it's not, it's just like, it's crazy. I mean, they, they built all of this. They made all this noise with partnership with Google. It's unprecedented. They roll it out in the operating system and they didn't say a word about it. And that to me is like nuts. I mean, do they not want to freak people out? Because people are easily freaked out by stuff like that. I think it's a regional problem. So I just checked mine and I uh, tried to turn it on and I'm in California and it said your area has not not on for your area. So I've got the thing that checkbox to like give me notification when it's available, but I can't just turn on the exposure notifications directly yet. Yeah, I'm that to me is it was an announcement made with some fanfare, right? Like the two big companies collaborate. They don't like each other. And that it's it, it just seems to have. They're obviously working on it. We get regular updates. It's in the operating systems now. And it, as yet, has seems to have come to nothing. So I, I was very curious to ask you, Nicole, for your perspective on that. Well, I think it's interesting that the announcements are coming from the states and from the state health departments rather than from the tech companies. I think that sort of is probably a good public health strategy. But, you know, if it's sort of a more generalized feature, I mean, 
like the the strategy of that i think is sort of interesting and could be explained in a lot of different ways but um like the announcements have been coming out locally when there's a new app in a different area yeah that was the thing that got me i was like there's an app for new york and i i haven't heard that seems crazy but it turns out Sam Cook has just spoken at Cuomo. That's that's my theory. Okay. Oh, hey, w- one more thing. Every review I've been doing lately, I've got the Withings HR Steel whatever smartwatch, which is the old version. They've got a new version coming out called the ScanWatch. I think uh, it's out in the year. It's out in the UK and Europe, but it's not here in the US. Nicole, you have one. Can you just like real quick like what is what is it and do you like it? Because everyone's asking me, and my answer is I I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so it's not out in the U.S. yet because it is waiting for FDA clearance because it is doing the thing that Apple is not doing, which is linking its pulse ox to a medical feature, which is sleep apnea. Right. So they're sort of have jumped into that, you know, pool of things. So it's still waiting FDA clearance. Like, who knows when that's going to happen? Who knows when you're able to get your hands on it? I have been wearing it. I like it. I like that it just looks like a watch and does not look like a computer and that it doesn't give me any notifications at all um, if I don't want it to, which is great for me, a person who doesn't like smartwatches. But it also has a pulse ox feature. And like you, I have been testing it out and it has been giving me a lot of inconclusives and telling me that I am um, dying a lot of the time Great with like like 89% pulse ox. And I, I have a fingertip thing too, and I've been comparing them as well. Um, so I think I have the same feedback on that that I do with the Apple Watch, which is that if and when it gets cleared by the FDA here, it still probably serves a similar functionality. But I do really like it. It's great. It looks really nice. It's not too big and pretty kind of simple and straightforward. So They're good. I like them. I like the Withings watches. Okay, cool. Great. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. We're going to have to have you back soon. Thanks for having me. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Haim is going to walk us through all of the rest of the things that Apple announced, which was quite a bit. We'll be right back. Support for the Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Most weight loss programs focus on restriction and inflexible routine, which is why most diets fail. But Noom isn't a diet. It's a weight management program that uses psychology and biology to help you develop healthy, sustainable habits. Noom believes that weight loss starts with the brain, and their daily lessons are tailored to help users understand the science behind food cravings and eating choices. Whether you want to lose weight, increase physical activity, meet a health goal, or simply change the way you think about food, Noom can help you build healthy habits while still enjoying your favorite foods. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. 
Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. We're back. I'm Gartenberg. Hello. Tell me everything. <laughs> no, let's start. There's a little bit more Apple Watch stuff. Dieter, you want to run through the SE? It's basically the SE and the family stuff, right? That's the only yeah, so in addition to the Series 6, they also released the SE, which is, um, it's like they've got the Series 3 around as a cheap one. And then there's the SE, which is like a Series 4, Series 5. They took out the EKG, but they put in the always-on. No, they also took out the always-on screen. It's like the lower-cost version that isn't the low, low cost version. It's like in the middle. And I kind of don't get why it exists, except I totally get why it exists because Apple needs to have uh, one in the middle, a good, better, best. Uh, and that's that's where they want this thing to land. And the thing that I think is most interesting about the Apple Watch is called family setup. So if you have a kid or a, uh, I don't know, elderly parent, you can set up an Apple Watch for them on your iPhone, and then you manage it uh, as though you know it's somebody. It's somebody else's device. They don't even have an iPhone, but you get to like see where they are on GPS. There's lots of limitations on what uh, their the kid is allowed to do. So they uh, they don't get to track their calories. They track their movements, which is the right call. They turn off a bunch of other stuff like the ECG probably wouldn't be accurate for a kid, so they, they can't do that. I think they also turn off like low heart rate notifications and you know a bunch of other stuff is off. But it basically takes that like kid tracker, kid watch tracker market, and just like hits it with a big hammer, a big yeah. Apple-sized hammer. It's expensive. You're going to have to pay for a carrier. You have to get the GPS, or I'm sorry, the LTE version in order to use this feature. So there's a lot of things that like put it into a much higher price tier. But I'm just saying, when kids go back to school and like one kid has got like the, I don't know, whatever they're called, Archangel or whatever, like the, the, the cheapo yeah. GPS watch, and one kid has the Apple watch, like... That kid with the cheapo tracker watch is going home and having a conversation with their parents. There's a reasonable. Well, we don't go anywhere anymore. But <laughs> before in the before time, <laughs> when I would like go to work and uh, the nanny would like take Max places or like I was always on the hunt for a, a stroller tracker and I could never find like just because Max is she's a baby I wasn't gonna yeah. put anything on her. But like I always wanted like a GPS tagger for the like I was like I'll put it on the stroller. And I could never find one that like made sense that didn't cost a million dollars, that wasn't like a Sprint exclusive. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, I should just buy an Apple Watch, and yeah. I'll just like tie it to whatever I want to track, and it'll be like a real computer from a reputable brand. I know the cell modem will work. That you have to charge every two days. Get alerts that your stroller is dying of, of low blood oxygen. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like freaking out. But it's just like that market, you know, if you don't have a kid, like you don't know that the carriers are constantly bombarding you with kid tracker stuff. Yeah. And like Apple really did just blow, blow up that market. I think the SC is really like Apple is no longer able to just sell the old one for cheaper. Yep. They have yep. to make them look new. They have to say they are new products. They have to market them as new products. I think they want to make more ads, right? Like mm -hmm. fundamentally, they just want to be in your face more and they could not be like the Apple watch series four again yeah. and like confuse you against the series six, which is they're going to market in a different way. I mean, the, the SE just doesn't make sense to me on a lot of levels. Like I don't understand why it has an S five processor at all. 
uh, because the S5 processor is the exact same thing as the S4 processor. Uh, the only difference is it has, uh, I believe, slightly more system memory for like storage of apps and the display controller that allows you to have the in the always on display. <laughs> so Apple like went out of its way to get this more expensive chipset that is identical to their old chipset on the Series 4, which this effectively is, and then disabled it. I had questions. So I was I wrote this thing where I was like, the SE doesn't I, I, the idea of the SE doesn't make sense because on the iPhone line, the SE is the low end and on the Apple Watch line, the SE is the one in the middle. So what's what's the deal? And so then, you know, this whole thing that like Apple needs to have a good upsell from good, better to best. And so they're, they're trying to make their middle upsell slightly nicer. So that's why those that's why those cadences exist. But then I realized what SE means is, oh, shit. We have a lot of extra chips, and we don't <laughs> want to keep making the old ones. We want to stop making the old ones. It should be SP, spare parts. It should just be uh, a, like overstock of processors. and then the, <laughs> I, the iPhone OS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that we should start calling them the spare parts. So that's <laughs> SE. Honestly, that's the most interesting thing about it is it basically a Series 4, Yeah, but at a much lower price. There's no power adapter in the box, except Fine. for the most expensive ones. Ridiculous. Which is the the dumbest. I am so mad about this. The person who has the most USB power adapters in the world is the person who buys the Apple Watch Edition. <sighs> I mean, the person buying an Apple Watch Edition doesn't know what a USB power adapter is because I assume <laughs> yeah. that they do not handle the charging of their own devices. They just like <laughs> put it down on a table somewhere and someone else just like puts it back in the morning recharged. This is my new thing on the on the new interview show when we get billionaires I'm going to ask them about USB-C. Be like, mm. "What is your favorite USB standard?" Because I guarantee you they're all frustrated by it. Anyway, so uh, no power adapters in the box. I think that is a clear sign that the iPhone won't have it. They made a big show about how that's for environmental reasons. Lisa Jackson, who's their executive in charge of environmental initiatives. But they didn't lower the price when they took it out of the box, did they? You got to get those points somewhere, man. I'm that's just how you, saying. You got to keep the street happy. Also, if Apple was really concerned about environmental things, it's possible they could have used the universal charging standards used by every other manufacturer <laughs> instead of insisting on producing its own cables. <laughs> Hypothetically. The Apple Watch still doesn't support Qi charging. Does not support Qi charging. The Apple Watch doesn't support Qi charging. The new iPad that they announced, one of them still has a lightning port. Like, Okay, so let's, let's do it. Let's, let's do let's, that. Yeah, let's yeah. get out of the watches. <laughs> I try to go fast, but it's like everything. There's, there's too much. New iPads. There's a new iPad Air with USB-C, which last week we were like, this is going to be nuts. Uh, it's basically an iPad Pro. Let's set that one aside for one second because I want to talk about A14 to let's start with the lightning ipad there's a new eighth generation ipad that is a processor bump that's it it's a spare parts ipad that's it and it still has lightning and i think i understand why it still has lightning why do you think it still has lightning because it's it's the one that you give to your kid it's the it's the chromebook competitor like it's there to meet the ecosystem as it is it is not the product that pushes anything forward chromebooks use USB-C too every yeah android phones use USB-C. like I think it has lightning because it would have cost too much to redesign it for uh, USB-C, and they're just waiting until they can take the Air, the Pro and Air thing all the way down to the low end. Like, the reason that thing is cheap is because they literally don't have to change anything about the factory that makes it, except, like, have the person that puts in the chip, like, put in a <laughs> different like chip. dumps in a different barrel of chips yeah, into so the like, hopper. The reason it doesn't have USB-C is because they didn't redesign it. But they redesigned it last year. 
They redesigned it last year. A little. You had to put it. No, you had to put a new display and that's a different size screen. (laughs) I'm not mad. I mean, I'm mad about lightning. Do not get me wrong. I'm mad about lightning. I'm also mad that there's a different smart connector standard for the different iPad lines. Uh, And I'm also annoyed that um, there's a different uh, Apple Pencil uh, standard for both the iPad lines now. And so knowing what keyboard to get or what pencil to get requires like double checking. And that's annoying. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Again, I think this is just like me, like my kid's centric view of the world now. Mm-hmm. We have last year's $329 iPad. It's in a gigantic hot pink foam case. Yeah. Cannot be destroyed. And I'm like, I don't care what ports this has. Also, any charger in my family's, in any of our family's houses is guaranteed to charge it. Right. Right. It's because I mean, so it is fundamentally that thing runs Disney Plus and YouTube Kids. That's so you think it, it has lightning because the iPhone has lightning? Yeah, I think it, it when I say it meets the ecosystem where it is. Yeah, it's a product that demands virtually nothing from you if you have a bunch of Apple stuff. There is one ecosystem that it's not meeting, and that's education. They did like they didn't do anything to improve its standing in education. It's like iOS 14 doesn't really help with uh, uh, management or multi-user in a serious way. You can do it for education, but it's meh. When they did family sharing on the phone, and they didn't, do, I, mean, I was like, "Come on, yeah, you." This is the first time Apple has ever admitted that families exist, <laughs> ever. <laughs> and they did it on the watches. Yeah, man. Yeah. Every time I try to, we had to, <laughs> to turn off AirDrop on Max's iPad because she kept on getting whatever it's airdropping Becky. Oh, it's no. <laughs> and she would just go, uh-oh, and we couldn't figure out what was wrong. <laughs> they're, they're getting closer. The Apple TV has has vague family stuff now. Like, yeah. yeah. At, at the going rate, in like two or three years, you'll be able to. You'll never know. Anyway, the other the other thing about education is they all have Chromebooks, and so they always use USB C to charge those Chromebooks, and so like they have to get a whole other charging thing for if they want to get iPads into the school. So like, yeah. Anyway, that's it. That's my rant. All right, iPad Air. There's more to rant about with the Air. Oh yes, new Air. I mean, this is they should have called the iPad SE. If you're going with their new names, yeah. What do they do? They and they said this, and I'll say this. They said this line, which I thought was new. The point of the iPad Air is to bring pro features to a more accessible price point. And I was like, that's new. Uh, and then I was to- I was told very sharply, no, we said that last year, too. You just didn't believe us, which is <laughs> hilarious because last year they didn't have all the pro features. But this year it looks the same as the pro has a, now a faster. Well, maybe we'll get it. That's why I want Heim to talk about it. it has an A14, which is a different chip than the pro. Uh, the current pro is the A12Z. Slightly different screen. It gets less bright. Stereo speakers instead of quad speakers. No promotion. No 120 hertz promotion. No lidar sensor. That is a list of things I think most people do not care about. And yeah. so the Air is like really emerged. It got more expensive. It's a hundred dollars more expensive. It comes in this range of colors. Can use all the same keyboards and stuff. That it's more expensive, I think, is a ding. But it is now. It's the most compelling iPad. Oh, and USB C. Mm-hmm. And that to me feels like they've made, they've made the concession that USB C is what the iPad needs because the iPad is computer. Right. It's a weird spot for the iPad line, but the Air is, I think, emerged as the one to get. Yeah, it's it's a tough argument. Did the 2019 iPad Air have a headphone jack? I can't even yep. remember. It did. It did. Okay. Because it was the old design. Yeah. So that's something. So, Haim, talk to us. Talk to me about A14. It seems they went to five nanometer ahead of everybody else. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's next generation chip. Uh, they're saying, you know, 40 percent more transistors, uh, twice as fast for graphics. Um, a lot of it is is just, you know, this is a new processor. Uh, but this is particularly important for two reasons. One, all the iPhones going to have it. Two, 
I don't know if you can make a direct comparison between this and the A12Z just because they're fundamentally different chips. This is a six-core CPU, four-core GPU. The A12Z is still eight-core GPU. Um, like it supports more RAM than like the regular A12. I have to like dig up and see how this compares. Um, mm. At tasks, it's it's going to be hard to compare just because they're fundamentally different chips. But what this does say is uh, a couple things that are interesting, which are, first of all, A, Apple and by extension TSMC are able to make five nanometer chips, which is, you know, good for everyone who makes five nanometer chips except for Intel. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, the other thing is that Apple really was emphasizing, you know, they have a redesigned, you know, GPU and and twice as faster, um, big boost in performance, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's very interesting for the iPad. I mean, just because, you know, they bumped the processor. It's going from, you know, the A12 to the A14, big generational jump, because they also kind of took last year off when it came to actually making. Like, there was no A13X processor. The only difference between the A12X and the A12Z was... Apple unlocked another GPU core that was already on, so they went from seven to eight. It was a pretty incremental upgrade. Yeah. Do we need to get into that drama where people like to get we have to talk about binning and like not all eight of those no. cores in the old okay, good. I refuse. The other interesting thing for the A14 though is this is Apple's first, you know, processor from its new generation of stuff. And the processors that Apple is making and the things that it's focusing on on the processors that it's making is a lot more important right now with Apple about to release, you know, computers that are going to be using, if not this processor, a processor built on this. Uh, Heim, are you saying the iPad isn't a computer? Oh, my God. Poor Heim. (laughs) (laughs) I walked right into that one. Um, Like, there there will presumably be an A14X of some sort uh, that is going to use this new GPU engine, this new CPU. uh, And the fact that Apple is, is, you know, at this new generational point, uh, I mean, they are at a new, you know, node. They can, they're more power efficiency with less battery consumption are effectively the same. The the things that they straight up said on stage, these are what we wanted from Intel and Intel wasn't doing. And it was the same things. These are what we wanted from PowerPC. So we're going to Intel. So this is sort of a preview like they went. I don't think it's a coincidence that Apple's like, you know, this is two to three times faster than than the most popular Windows laptop, the three times faster than the Android tablet and the Chromebook. And like this is very much setting setting the stage for that. Uh, the thing that jumped out at me about that, they ran all those stats, right? It's faster than the most popular Windows laptop. It's faster than the best selling Chromebook. It's faster than a game console. And they didn't name them, yeah, which well, is kind of them. They did eventually show an HP laptop. Oh, uh, man. Like the guy at the HP office was like, oh, it was, it was us. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, it must be nice to be the most popular Windows laptop. <laughs> it was just like the subtlest shot. I feel like we could talk about the ARM-based Mac. The chip in the ARM-based Mac is right now the A12Z. I would presume that whatever ARM-based Mac comes out at five nanometers on the new node, they've built the thing out. I also expect them to to rename it, to not do an A-series. Mm-hmm. Right, because they keep yeah. calling it Apple Silicon. Like I think they mm-hmm. want to get bigger. They need to support more kinds of features on a Mac. Let's talk about the iPad itself, though, for a second. Here you've got... a. The headroom on an iPad is always really interesting to me because it doesn't really matter how powerful my iPad has been ever, right? Like I never push it. Those workflows, as much as Apple wants them to exist and insists that they exist and will hire influencers to show me they exist, 
they still don't exist at scale. And so the point, even in the iPhone, the point of having the fastest iPhone is that it will last a much longer time. Do you think this chip in the iPad compared to the A12Z or whatever has that similar kind of headroom potential? Or is it, this is just, we had to put it out because the iPhone's coming out. Uh, I mean, I think I think it's it's very much that. I mean, first of all, I don't think Apple was going to put the uh, an X or a Z class chip in in this iPad. The iPad Air is is the middle option, and you know, best best better best um, or good better best. Uh, it needs mm-hmm. this to be the better one. So like, it could have made this. There's a world where this event is just this is the new 11 inch iPad Pro, where you know, putting a fingerprint sensor on it and we're calling it a day and we're dropping the price. That's a world that exists. Uh, I don't think it's a likely one because Apple wants this mid-level step. Yeah. And as such, it wants that mid-level step to last. Uh, I mean, Apple's, you know, longevity of product is always sort of one of the big advantages it has. Like this iPad's going to get updates for what? Four or five years, probably mm-hmm. longer. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned Touch ID, by the way. We didn't talk about that at all. It does not have Face ID. As yeah. The fingerprint sensor that Apple says is quite fast. And I desperately hope that comes to all their products. Yeah. Yeah. Put it on the iPhone, please. Well, I mean, we'll see how small they can make it for an iPhone, right? That's a that's a tough thing to make that small. Power button on the iPhone is pretty big. Yeah, okay, that's fair. That's also, a- thank you for calling it the power button. No one everyone wants to call it the sleep wake <laughs> button now or the side button or the top button. It's the power button. We all know it. You remap it to Siri or Bixby or whatever the F, but it's the power button and we know it in our hearts. The last thing I want to talk about with the iPad is, um, unless you have more to say about Touch ID. No. No. I could talk about where the webcam is, but <laughs> Oh, God. What are they doing? <laughs> yeah, a bunch of kids in Zoom school looking sideways and up at their noses. That's so, why you should buy a Chromebook, because a webcam respects you as a person. Yes. Agree. 100% agree. Did you notice that they made a specific special point to say that ha- more than half of all new iPad buyers, 53 or 54% or something, are first-time iPad buyers. They really, really still want to make the case that like this thing is encroaching on the PC market. It's faster than a la- Windows laptop. It's faster than a Chromebook. And so that tension between like the iPad is running into the Mac is still there. And the iPad team still thinks that they can like grab PC market share. And I just like, sure, I, I believe you probably can. I just wish you'd do more with it once you had it. <laughs> you know, I haven't I haven't done any betas of iPadOS 14. I feel like I want to come back to that after I've because they've 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 pushed it a little bit farther again. Right? Yeah, but the the, the iPad OS beta, like the 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 headline feature there is the scribble stuff where you can use the the, st- the pencil to jot in any text field anywhere or anywhere on the screen. Uh, and it's good for like four words and then it falls apart. Uh, but it's great for those four words to just be able to like write your search in the search field or whatever. Um, beyond that, like, yeah, it's it's not as big a deal on the iPad as it is on the iPhone. In terms of like overall UI and overall changes, Scribble is not turning this into a Chromebook. Well, we got to review these things. We will argue about the iPad being a computer at that time. Last thing I want to talk about in this section uh, before we take a break: Apple One is out. Haim, you actually wrote the breakdown of all the bundles. Walk us through it. So, Apple One. <laughs> <laughs> first of all, first of all, there are three of them, which I think is an immediate failure of of naming or branding or something. <laughs> Uh, that that should mm-hmm. have been a red flag somewhere. Uh, Apple One is Apple's subscription bundles. 
Uh, and the sell is, is that you get Apple One and you'll get all of the Apple stuff for less. It sounds, there's three plans. There's an individual one, which is a lie, um, but it's $15 a month. It's not an individual <laughs> plan. Let me, so the individual plan gets you an individual Apple Music, an iCloud storage for 50 gigabytes, which are individual. But it also gets you Apple TV Plus and Apple Arcade, which go to everyone in your family group. So it is technically individual, but half of the stuff is a family plan. Oh, it's 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 Apple Music and plus some stuff. That's the individual plan is Apple Music for you plus some stuff. So it's Apple Music for you and iCloud for you mm-hmm. uh, plus some stuff for four dollars more than those would cost on your own. The the okay. theme here is that you want iCloud and Apple Music. Like, this is what the numbers, Apple doesn't give great numbers on this, but like the numbers that exist, there's like 160 plus million paid iCloud subscribers. There's like 68 million Apple Music subscribers. And then there's like 10 million Apple Arcade and Apple TV Plus. And a lot of the Apple TV Plus people are on their year-long yeah. free thing. We gotta. I want to come back to this you want thing, but let's get through the rest of the plans. Okay, so... Like numerically, there are people who are playing for Apple Music and there are people paying for iCloud and Apple would like those people to also be paying for TV Plus and Arcade. So the goal is to upsell you. Mm-hmm. Um, the family one is the same thing. It's the family shareable iCloud, which is 200 gigabytes and family Apple Music. So it's, again, uh, it's 15 for the Apple Music, three for that. And then there's a $2 price difference. And if you pay the extra $2, you get Arcade and TV Plus. So you're paying $4 on the individual plan for the TV Plus and Arcade, $2 on the main plan for TV Plus and Arcade. And then if you had the terabyte one, assuming you are already paying for Apple Music Family and the terabyte, you're paying $5 or more, $5 more, but that gets you TV Plus, Arcade, Fitness, and News Plus. And there's a the, the one concession I will give them to having multiple plans is fitness is only in English and they don't have licenses for News Plus around the world. So they can't offer those plans globally. So they needed some initial setup, which fine. But as you just walk up those tiers, it really feels like the next one is like Apple one premier unlimited 5G. Like <laughs> it's that level of complication. Yeah. It honestly reminds me of, of cell carrier plans. I mean, I've been getting like tweets from people all day of like, you know, I would really have liked to get, you know, just iCloud one terabyte and fitness for like $15 a month. But Apple will let me like. You can do that for $20 a month, right? So you can't, you in my, like what I would like is to be able to mix and match. I mean, this is more complicated and we're already complaining that it's complicated. So hypocrite, but like you said, what you want is uh, Apple Music and iCloud. I don't want Apple Music. I want Spotify. And so Spotify, Spotify said a very strange statement. They're very, they're very angry about this bundle. <laughs> let me read this statement. It's so good. Let me let me just finish the thought. But what I do want is more iCloud. Not so much that I want it, but that I have to do it because it's the only way to like reliably back up my iPhone and I just need more yeah. than 200. So like I back into, well, I'm going to be buying two terabytes of iCloud anyway. So that's 10 bucks a month. Well, okay. Well, what else in that package do I want? Well, I don't know, maybe something, something. But like it, the the calculation of figuring out which of Apple services you actually want and then mm-hmm. building your own bundle versus yeah. just buying theirs, you spend like 15 minutes like going, okay, if I did this, well, maybe I want that. I don't know, blah, 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 blah. And then like, ugh. And then you're paying them $360 a year for the Premier 5G Max Plus plan because it's just like easier <laughs> to think, do it. 
And that, that is the number that you should do. You should do the times 12 number for all of these plans. It's like yeah. it's a better way for your human brain, which is dumb and stupid, to think about the value you're getting for your money. It's $360, which is the, the cost of an iPad. Okay, let's hear mm-hmm. Spotify's ridiculous statement. <laughs> I'm going to read it, but I, I would encourage the listener as you listen to it, identify the thing they're mad about that like specifically Spotify is mad about. Okay. From Spotify spokesperson. Once again, Apple is using its dominant position and unfair practices to disadvantage competitors and deprive consumers by favoring its own services. We call on competition authorities to act urgently to restrict Apple's anti-competitive behavior, which if left unchecked will cause irreparable harm to the developer community and threaten our collective freedoms to listen, <laughs> learn, create, and connect. <laughs> and I, I read this. I was like, that is storming. They're, they're very mad about these confusingly named bundles. Yeah. Does Spotify know that it's like the market leader? <laughs> like there are more people who, who use Spotify than Apple music. Yeah, we did a little reporting and Apple responded. I think I understand what they're angry about. I think the statement just doesn't say it out loud, which is uh, a mistake. What they're saying is, what do you have? You have iCloud. You need iCloud data. Yep. Apple's going to market you iCloud data. Maybe you want TV. You got all this other stuff. This fitness thing looks hot. They're obviously going to sell a lot of it. They're going to sell you Apple music. Yep. And once you're bundled in, once you get that and that's part of your bundle, maybe you'll cancel Spotify. Yep. No, I mean, that's that's exactly where, yeah. literally, where that's where I am. I was like, I'm going to say screw it and get the Premier Super Plan. And then once I'm paying for the Premier Super Plan maybe I should cancel Spotify because I'm getting Apple Music as part of the Premier Super Plan yeah. that I just like backed into because I didn't want to think about it. And that is why Spotify is buying every yeah. podcast in the world. Straight up. That's what they're doing. That's what they're creating exclusives the way that the TV streaming services have exclusives. They're just doing it up front with gigantic checks, <laughs> which is like a way to do it. I, so, I mean, I don't, it's crazy for me on this show to be like, I don't see the problem here, but I just thought this statement was very funny because the bundles have to be successful before they're harmful. And just because Apple is big and it, they're excited about something does not mean it will be successful. I would point you to several of the services in the bundle <laughs> as evidence of this fact. Neil, are, are you are you implying that Apple TV Plus yeah. is not? <laughs> like, like Apple will get Oprah and Jennifer Aniston, <laughs> like whatever, and they will be like, look at these elephants. And like their service is nowhere. Ted Lasso is a good show. Like Ted Lasso is actually surprisingly good. Wait for the season to finish and then pay for a month of Apple TV Plus and, and binge Ted Lasso and then cancel it. That is my advice to you. No, pay $360 a year and play one <laughs> arcade game and be like, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> yeah, I understand why they're doing it. I wish that what they had done, and I, I you know, I, I think this would have increased the complexity of this even farther. But I don't know, once you decide to be complicated, just be all the way complicated. They should have done it with the phone. They yeah. already have the iPhone upgrade yeah. plan. They already have a credit card. Just say you're going to buy a new phone and you're going to pay us, what is it, $300 a year and it's $1,000 a month for a phone. You're going to pay us 200 bucks a month, right? And you're going to get the best phone we make in all of our services. And every two years, we'll give you a new phone. And like that would have been compelling. It would have actually been more costly. Yeah. But it would have made sense. And I think just that it makes sense and it feels like you're getting a lot for that payment because you're getting a phone out of it would have carried the day. I just think their carriers would have hated them actually executing that worldwide would have been impossible. And they have 45 upcoming phone SKUs. Yeah. And like how on earth do you manage it? But 
man, that would have been way more compelling than what you really want is some more than our stingy five gigs of iCloud storage. It's manageable. Like they already do most of this. Like if you buy an iPhone in the iPhone upgrade program, it is the cost of the phone divided by 24 plus the cost of Apple care for that phone divided by 24. And that's your monthly payment. And that changes from phone to phone. And it's tied to your, you know, iCloud account. Like they're close. They could easily throw this in and knock off like a dollar on each of these things. And it would be, you know, gangbusters. Yeah. yeah. There were definitely some, some like there, there was chum thrown in the water at us. I would say that this is their first <laughs> cut at it and more stuff might happen, but I can't imagine recommending because they're going to push it. I just can't imagine when I get the question, should I sign up for Apple one? They'd be like, yes. The same way when people are like, should I sign up for Google one? I'm like, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> like I, I have Google one. It's storage. It's storage. It's not even YouTube, which is like the best money you can spend is turning ads off on YouTube. Anyhow, that is the bulk of it. Let's take a break. There's still a lot more to talk about. A lot happened this week. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from constant contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Okay. Hi. The other thing I really want to talk to you on the sort of the chip side, but then we got to talk PS5, Oculus Quest 2. A lot happened this week. But on the chip side, there was the A14. Right next to the A14, NVIDIA announced its deal to buy ARM for $40 billion. Do you see those things connecting? So... Not really is the honest answer. ARM still has like, this isn't going to drastically change any of like ARM's business with Apple or Qualcomm or, or any of those companies, at least not in, in you know, the immediate term. Like these companies have long-term contracts with ARM already. A new boss isn't going to change it just like SoftBank owning it didn't really change it. I do think that this is, you know, this could potentially set up some interesting things for NVIDIA stuff down the road. NVIDIA is an ARM customer. Like, NVIDIA makes Tegra chips. There's one in, like, your Nintendo Switch. Uh, There's one in your NVIDIA Shield, you know, set-top box that 
people really, really love. <laughs> don't don't say anything mean about it. I might buy one soon because YouTube is such hot garbage on the Apple TV because the VP9 codec isn't working. I've been, I was, I've been sending Neli pictures of like what YouTube looks like on my TV. If you want to see some photos of chunky black compression artifacts. Yeah. Dieter's got you covered. Okay. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, so I agree with you. Um, so Apple's fine because I think they they don't license the actual arc. They like license the instruction set or something, but not the actual like design. The question is like long term, will NVIDIA mess with ARM's like neutrality? Long term, will NVIDIA be able to hold itself back from trying to take another run at Qualcomm uh, at, on cell phone chips? Do you really think that like in five years that there's not going to be some tomfoolery, some skullduggery, some shenanigans. There could be. I, I don't know if NVIDIA has the motive. NVIDIA also, at least for now, is really pushing this at areas of like, you know, AI and data center stuff and, and energy yeah. efficiency. What I do think is you're going to eventually start to see, you know, the Cortex GPU that you get in your, that, you know, Qualcomm, you know, licenses is going to be, you know, an RTX they're going to slap some some good Qualcomm, some good NVIDIA branding on there. Yeah. There could be stuff down the road where, you know, NVIDIA, you know, starts to trickle back their GPU stuff to work with ARM-based chips. Uh, I think we're still very, very far from from any of that being the case. ARM, ARM has existed for years and has been doing this for years. I don't think a new owner is necessarily going to mean, you know, suddenly your your next Nintendo Switch is going to have, you know, a giant RTX 3080 strapped onto it, built into it. <laughs> That'd be incredible. I think the RTX 3080 is bigger than the Switch, actually. I, I think it's yeah. like physically bigger than the Switch. I don't think it's that. I will say, whenever I hear the new owner isn't going to do anything, I'm like, oh, they're going to they're gonna mess with it. Like, SoftBank didn't know what to do with it. SoftBank was just collecting companies, which turned out to be a disastrous idea. SoftBank arguably didn't do anything with it, because I don't think they made any money on this. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I mean, wild. They were a, they were a different kind of owner. Nvidia bought this stuff for a reason. I right? think know what to do with it. Yeah, and I like who are the players that are affected by it? It's Apple, which has one kind of license, and they don't really, you know, they design their own chips from scratch, but they need the instruction set. So mm -hmm. that's one set of challenges, interactions. Apple and Nvidia don't get along as companies. That's a lot to think about. Samsung makes chips. Yep, Samsung, Huawei, like. Every, basically every mobile chip. Qualcomm. Yeah. Yep. Qualcomm. Does Qualcomm have a history of, I don't know, lawsuits? Do you think that yeah, could be interesting? Like, Qualcomm's like, we own all the IP. Like, give it to, like, there's a lot here that I think NVIDIA, because it is a motivated owner, yeah. maybe they went lucky with it immediately, but they are motivated to do things with the asset yeah. in a way that SoftBank was motivated to just collect, collect profit. Yeah. And I think that's like a very different, we'll see how it goes. Let's skip all the chip news. Let's talk about PS5. <laughs> we know what all the, the next gen of consoles, like it's like bottom of the show. Yeah. yeah it's a huge news. And also huge. Physically huge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so big. Hi, I'm walk, walk us through these price points. Okay. Uh, PS5 digital edition is 400 PS5 is 500. 500 uh, most expensive piece is the most Xbox Series X. The Xbox Series S is still $100 cheaper than the PS5 Digital Edition, but not as powerful. But the PS5 is not as powerful in turn as the Xbox Series X, at least in some things. It has a faster SSD, uh, which will maybe impact um, like some Sony exclusive games. At the end of the day, though, like 
you know, EA and Ubisoft and everyone still have to make a game that runs on on all three of these different boxes at this point. So, like, it might look slightly nicer on one or on the other, but, like, I don't think we're going to see too big of, of drastic differences between these three, at least from third-party stuff. And then, like, you know, God mm-hmm. of War is where, you know, Sony can flex or, like, Ratchet and Clank, which they've already been showing off. is like, look how fast we can switch between levels. Um, what I like about this pricing the most is that it... it absolutely implies that a blu-ray drive in 2020 costs 100 dollars. <laughs> part of it is the blu-ray drive is expensive but also part of this and sam byford wrote a really great piece on this is sony doesn't really need to charge you more when sony's charging you more for the blu-ray drive it's charging you that hundred dollars up front because it's going to lose money on games on you because i can buy you know your used copy of god of war when you're done with it i can go to gamestop and get a used copy and sony doesn't get a cut of that if i buy a ps5 digital edition Every dollar of every game that I spend is going to go through Sony. So what do they care if they lose 100 bucks up front? They're making pure profit on me for the entire life of the machine in a way that they're not necessarily going to do on the disc one. Yeah, I think that's super. I mean, that this was the fight about this last generation of Xboxes, right? And they Microsoft had to walk it all back. But we're also on the cusp of massive game streaming services becoming mainstream, particularly with xCloud. Stadia exists, <laughs> continues to exist, but like that is the future. Everyone sees that future. And it's interesting that the, the disc one here is like, we're still having this conversation, which I love. Like, I love that people are still like, I'd rather buy a used disc than completely give in to digital transactions. But at the same time, there's no way any of these, the next generation of this has a disk drive. And that's like the weird, the weird like line in the sand that's being drawn. Like the most expensive Xbox is like the uber most powerful thing is like um, a, a doubling down on you must have this giant ultra powerful, you know, GPU, CPU. It has to run all the things. It has to have a disk drive. It The, the Xbox Series X is, is interesting because it's in many ways like the antithesis of what Microsoft says is the future of games. Like the Xbox Series X is like you're going to buy a, a copy of Halo on a disc and you're going to put it in this Xbox and it's going to run in your living room and it's got big fans. And that's kind of been Sony's approach for the, for the whole time. Like Sony's been like this worked super well for us on the PlayStation 4. You're going to buy God of War and you're going to buy Ratchet and Clank and you're going to buy Horizon Go to the West. Um a West Young Horizon. Uh, wow. <laughs> like Sony, Sony has always been there. And yeah. and like the, the PS5 just being a big, more powerful PS4 kind of makes sense. Microsoft is like game streaming is the future, but also buy this Xbox. Well, but they also have the this the, you know, the plan where you can like pay in installments and it actually ends up being a little bit cheaper, which is really fascinating. Yeah. To me, like Sony's like but you still have to have you still have the box. Right. You Can I just box. point out that Microsoft's installments are about as much as Apple One Premiere? Yeah. <laughs> but you can yeah. get a whole ass Xbox and xCloud and Game Pass Ultimate 5G or whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> <laughs> or you can get Apple Music and Apple <laughs> Those Apple Arcade games, though. I mean, I think I think Halo Infinite and that one Game of Thrones game they released. There are some good. There are some good. Games. Come on. <laughs> You're right that Sony is like, well, last time we just made a really powerful console and got the best game exclusives and, and that worked really well. So we're just going to do that again. Xbox and Microsoft is like, we're going to bet on the future again. And last time they did it with Kinect and IR blasters. <laughs> and this time they're just, they're doing it with like game streaming and, uh, you know, the like, 
the, the subscription plan, right? And I think that the difference from the last gen to this gen is we have more faith in Microsoft's bet because, like, it seems like a better bet than we're going to become the, like, console that runs your TV. Yeah, but they're, but they're, it's like Microsoft is betting on that. But then they're also like, just to cover our bases, here's the console that runs your TV. Like, here's two of them. Here's one that's, that's yeah. so cheap that you, you can't not pass it up. Yeah, but they're not, they're not saying this is your cable box, right? Which right. Is, they're not, but I don't think Sony is saying that either. No, but, but Microsoft did say it last time with the original Xbox One. They like made it look like a VCR. <laughs> <laughs> well, Man. neither of them looks like a VCR now. The PS5 absolutely does not look like a VCR. Nope. I will say that just from a pure design point of view, I'm like, I should get a Series X. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's sure. the thing I want. Like, like obviously, the that's series, the thing I want. The Series X looks very cool, and Sony's looks like a mutated space blob. I respect the space blob, but... We we did that when they announced it. We did the whole post with what people thought it looked like, and it was very funny. You should read it. But my favorite one was, like, this looks like the Performing Arts Center for an overfunded mid- Midwestern college. Like, that is 100% <laughs> what it looks like. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited about this. It's coming. We This fall, hardware review season, right? 5G iPhones, two new consoles, whatever. There's a bunch of Google stuff coming. Yeah, the, the Google announced that they're they're doing the the Nest speaker, the Chromecast, and the Pixels, two Pixels. So we we got some stuff. All right, let's wrap it up. Uh, there's there's an Oculus Connect event. Uh, there's an Oculus Quest two out. Addy reviewed it for us. Haim, what'd you think? This is also also just interesting, like Facebook consolidated its whole lineup. Like there's no Quest S and 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 Quest and Rift. Like you just you buy the Oculus. This is the thing. It works on its own. If you want to plug it into your 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 gaming laptop and, and have it be better, you can. But it's one thing, uh, which I think is like a big leap forward for it and just like simplifying this. Also, it costs like, you know, $300, which means that like this is a console like you can buy this and use this as a console. It has, you know, the controllers and the stuff. It has, you know, internal storage like it comes in 64 gigabyte and 250 gigabyte like SKUs. Um, And if you're just, you know, trying to if you're trying to say that, you know, VR is here and VR is having its moment, like having one consolidated thing that you can just be like, that's the thing you need uh, is, I think, like a big step. I think this is this is the one that gets me to actually buy one. I, every previous one, I've been like, I don't know. It's like, am I really? This is where I'm like, this product feels refined. It feels extensible. It feels like it has shelf life. Yep. And then you know the the faster refresh rate is great. You know, high resolution is great. Like they made good improvements. It's apparently more comfortable. Like all the things that it needed, it got. Yeah. Okay. The last thing I want to say, uh, Casey interviewed Zuckerberg on VR and AR. You should read it. It's a compelling interview. Every time I read Zuckerberg talk about AR and Zuckerberg had this quote, he's like, HEDs are not the future. I don't want to put an Apple watch on your face, which is a good line. Also, have you noticed Zuck feels way more just free to dunk on Apple lately? In, like Facebook executives, Instagram, Adam Asseri dunked on Apple for advertising stuff the other day. That war is heating up like it's there. But anyway, so Zuck says, I don't want to put an Apple watch on your face. Every time I read about VR and AR, and we've heard a lot about Apple's efforts in VR and AR, particularly AR. When it's Mark Zuckerberg, the first thing I think about is who will be the content moderator for AR, right? When you're literally augmenting reality, who gets to decide what information is displayed on top of reality as reality? And I am desperate for someone to start asking that question. It should probably be us because I'm in charge of a 
technology newsroom. But you understand what I'm saying is that we can ask the questions on the verge chest, but I think it's time for the, at this moment of development, it's, I think it is better to ask those questions early before the products are released. And the first nut job walks in front of a courthouse and sees like, this is where the deep state is and does something stupid. Cause you can see that coming from a mile away. And I don't think it's been contended with yet. That's it. That's my little, that's my little AR speech. Yeah. And you're already getting that with the Facebook stuff, right? Like the big downside, and, and we should have mentioned this earlier, the big downside of the quest is like Facebook's like, this is our first one that you're going to have to have a Facebook login. You can't use your separate Oculus login. Like they did all the right things you need to do on hardware and price and specs. But like there's this like looming specter of Facebook. And at a certain point, it becomes, you know, how much do you trust Facebook with your log and how much do you trust Facebook with your data? And there's going to be a bunch of people who are going to be like, who cares? We have a Facebook account. Don't care. And there's going to be a lot of people who, you know, rightfully so are going to be like, I don't necessarily want to be, you know, feeding the inputs of my eyes to Mark Zuckerberg's, you know, server farm. And that's a that's a legitimate concern. I don't know how Facebook reconciles with this other than being like, we're a hardware company, deal with it. Like people do not, you know, you you want to use, you know, Apple Fitness, you're going to need an Apple account. And Nicole and, and everyone had kind of discussed, you know, you know, who gets this data and who gets to use it. It's just Facebook in particular has such a bad rep here in a way that, you know, Apple and even Google doesn't, that putting this requirement on making it a mandatory thing, just it it doesn't feel great. Yeah. It's funny because they had already owned Oculus, but like actually making it formally your Facebook account really set off a lot of people. I think what's instructive here is the portal, right? Like we had all but written off the portal and then the pandemic hit and the portal actually got not very popular, but more popular. And you saw tech journalists who were very skeptical of Facebook say, oh, this is actually a good product right now. Yeah, but the, the portal is a great example because like two months ago during all the pandemic stuff, Facebook released an update for the portal that lets you use it with like a standalone Facebook workplace account for like the Facebook Slack that's not tied to your to your personal Facebook account. It's it's the opposite. Like that's what this that's what people want for this and don't have. Yeah, the portal also uh, works with Zoom. So, <laughs> right, they're, they're making that more of a general purpose uh, kind of space computer. I don't know what you would. I say space computer. The the reason I said space was I was thinking of space heaters because it looks like a space heater. <laughs> like it's a it's a it's a physically anyway. You know, it's a space heater at the end. All right, that was a lot of stuff. We did briefly mention the Google stuff. September thirtieth, Pixel Five and new Chromecast, new smart speaker. So that's coming. I'll end by just gesturing broadly at the disaster that is TikTok, which also just had an entire news cycle this week of mm. ups and downs. I can't even, there's no way to even condense it yeah. because just today the deal might get blown up again, but Microsoft pulled out of the deal to buy TikTok. Oracle was going to step in as a trusted technology partner that just appears to have gone to hell already. So we still don't know what's going on with TikTok and the deadline hasn't been, ex- hasn't been extended. We're just going to keep tracking it. If we had recorded this a day ago, I would have been like, here's what's happening with TikTok. But like one more day has, has gone on. And Cause like, as we record this right now, like Walmart was like, maybe we'll join in. And like the people are waiting on Trump, but it's a mess. I love the idea of Walmart buying TikTok. I love it so much. They did just fine with Voodoo. Actually, there was one little piece of breaking TikTok news. Uh, TikTok has approached Kevin Systrom, former uh, founder and CEO of Instagram, to run TikTok. On. Oh, Because he laughed because he was mad at it. Yeah. That's pretty good. All right. We have gone long, as always. I don't know why I say we, we've gone the normal. We've done it again. Thank you to Haim, 
Thank you to Nicole. You can tweet at us. Hi, Miss Seagartenberg. Nicole is at Nicole Wetzman. Dieter is Backlon. I'm at Reckless. We're running a survey right now, voxmedia.com slash pod survey. We love your feedback. It helps us make decisions. Please go take the survey. We will not send your iData to Mark Zuckerberg's server farm. Or will we? We won't. Dieter's got a newsletter at theverge.com slash newsletter called Processor. I've got a new podcast coming out in October called Decoder. Very excited about that. Love your feedback. Tweet at me about that. Dieter, you've got a show on Tuesday. What's happening here? Oh, so uh, Neelai is off uh, developing his brand new show, Decoder, uh, but we still want to bring you Tuesday episodes. And so for the next uh, few weeks, I'm going to try some stuff on the Tuesday episodes. It's going to see what happens. It's going to be exciting. Very we're gonna, good. We're gonna, the, the next week, we're going we're gonna, to uh, do a really d- big deep dive on the uh, Surface Duo and the Galaxy Fold, Z Fold 2. So. Ooh, a little, little review redux. I like it. All right. That's it. Thank you to everybody. Thank you for listening. We're out. Rock and roll. You know what you should do? What's that? You should wear a mask. <laughs>